just take a moment to appreciate the peace. <coughs> so quiet. Oh, parents, how good is it? So quiet. Oh, I'm going to ruin that now. I'm not going to do 20 push-ups. I don't know how Liv spoke after doing that. Good job. But today I want to talk about peace. And the reason I want to talk about peace is, is twofold. One, I realise that as we talk about merging, so those of us that are part of this church, we're talking about the 9am and 4pm services merging, there can be a sense of angst built up in us, worry, concern, both from 9am people and from 4pm people. But I also know that to live in the world that we currently live in, there is a, a desperate vacuum of peace. We all desperately need peace from time to time. And so I have a question to kick us off. A question that you can ask the person next to you. It's a question that, um, that enables you or causes you to, to go back. When was church at its best for you? Now, this may be, for some of you, the very first time you've been in church, and so obviously the answer is today. But just take a few moments, not even that. When was church at its best for you? Just have a chat with the person next to you. Go. Might be an interesting conversation to kick around at morning tea afterwards. When was church at its best for you? For me, as I look back, I can quite clearly and easily answer this question. I was in Sydney at the time, and those of you that know me will be a bit surprised that I was in Sydney because my history has been Gold Coast and Melbourne. But I went to a, a, what was a, a conference or an event ran by a church called Passion. And we went there, I took some young adults there, and they had this, this kind of epic experience in an arena where the, there was a full band, and they played the songs that I've been listening to, and I, I was, had this moment of realizing that if this is the experience you have of heaven, just worshiping God, it's enough. It was amazing. It was kind of the, the high point of my church experiential life. So when was church at its best for you? When I was in Seymour, Seymour was my first ministry placement nearly 20 years ago that started. There was an elderly, wise, kind, generous man by the name of Eric Popple. And Eric was 94 years old and he was struggling with some of the changes that we were doing in the church. So I would meet with him and I would hear his pain and his concern. And one day in the conversation, I asked him this question. I said, Eric, when was church best for you? And he took a long moment to pause and to think and to ponder. And then with all sincerity, he answered the question and he said, when I was 12 years old. When I was 12 years old. Now, I didn't break this news to Eric at the time at 94, but he was never going to be 12 years old again. And what I tried to help him see is that the church he experienced at 12 years old does not exist in any form again through the eyes of a 12-year-old if you're not a 12-year-old. That is the wonder and the heartache of nostalgia, isn't it? That we look back to a certain point in time and we go, wow, 
That was amazing. And all the beauty and the wonder and the glory of it shine through and all the pain and the mess kind of go to the side. We get to filter and enjoy those memories. But it leaves us with a false impression that then was perfect and now is not perfect. And that false impression, that can lock us in. That we can look at our current experiences, whether it's in church or in life, and go, ah, I wish it was like. It's a false impression. And so we get locked behind these doors. Like the disciples. John 20, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. A little bit of context. Jesus has just been arrested and crucified on the cross. And they're on the in-between side. They're on the, the flip side of that. But they've just witnessed the greatest event in all of history that coupled with the resurrection of Christ would change the very fabric of all of society even today. Our society is entirely different than what it would be if Christ hadn't died on the cross. But the disciples, they're together and they're locked behind closed doors for fear of the Jewish leaders. They're locked in. They're scared of everything. They're scared of everything that lies in their future. So scared, aren't they, that they've already started to retreat back to their old lives. We read in John 21 that Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, they've all started fishing again. And not all of them were fishermen. That's how bad it was. It's like, let's go back to what we, what we know. And Peter and James and John are like, we're going fishing. It's safe. It's secure. We know how to fish. We can get an income for that. The world is not crazy like it was when we follow Jesus. It's safe, it's secure, and they go back to it. And others gravitate with them. You see, when facing an unknown future, we retreat back to what seemed safe because it's known. The disciples, they're nostalgic. They want to go back. They wanted to go back to when it was safe and predictable and secure the wonder years with Jesus. Wandering around in the wake of the Messiah who was preaching and teaching and healing and doing incredible things. That's what they wanted. Second best shot was fishing. Now I know you know the feeling. I'm about to prove it. You ready? Some of you wish you could go back to a time when technology was not as complicated as it is now. Am I, am I right? Yeah. And, and not all of you are, are like, like in the northern end of your life. Like some of you are younger, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Simpler life, like I can handle emails, social media, I can never get a grasp of that. But when you talk about live streaming, forget it. Just take me back to a better world. Some of you think that about relationships too. You might, it comes up particularly when we have a difficult point in a relationship. And we look back and we go, oh, I wish... I wish it were like it used to be. Perhaps you might say, I wish it were when I could trust people, when people would accept me, when things were comfortable, when it all worked. That's what I wish for. I wish for days when, when I was married because now I'm not. I wish for days when the kids were in a good place because now they're not. And, and when we are under pressure and things are not working, we become nostalgic. We want to go back. For some of you, it might be about work. 
you might look back and go, oh, there was that job, that time, with the team that I worked with and the challenges that we faced, the opportunities we had, the salary that came with it, take me back to that job. And for most of us, maybe all of us, we feel nostalgic about church. You don't have to feel bad about it. We're all in the same boat. I'll let you in on a little secret. We might be scared to talk about this, but every one of us here today has been part, who has been part of a church previously, we've all had better experiences than right now. Ooh. Shouldn't now be the best experience, but we have. Show of hands, just interesting. Who put up their hand that said, right now is my favourite experience in memory of church? Ah, see, that's all good. Josie, you're a legend. You're a legend. We, we look back, right, because the best experience of church cannot be realised until you've passed it. It's when we look back and we go, oh, wow, I didn't realise at the time, but those years were wonderful. And when the present gets hard, and when God is leading us into a new thing that's challenging, whether it's a church merger or anything in our lives, we can so desperately want to retreat to when it was safe and secure, when we knew what was what and we knew what up was and what down was, but we cannot. We can't go back. It doesn't work. We can't remain in the locked room and live. We cannot remain in the locked room and live. There was a man in the desert one day. It was hot. The heat was beating down. And he was so thirsty. He was so parched. And he wasn't sure that, that in the distance he saw this shack. But he was sure it was. And he, he went over and he reached the shack. And he collapsed in the shade. So thankful for the shade. And as he's sitting there, he spies a water pump. He says, I'm saved. So he goes over to the pump and he grabs hold of the handle and he starts cranking this thing up and down, up and down. And as the sweat and the final bit of energy starts to exude from his body, nothing is coming from the water pump. And he retreats back to the shade and he slumps down. He's been beaten and it's all over. And then he spies through one of the windows in the shack an old table. And on the table is a jug of what appears to be water with a cork in the top. And he staggers in and he looks at this jar of water, the sparkling water with a cork in the top, wondering what on earth it's doing there. And below it is a note written on a piece of paper sitting on the table. The note says this, You have to prime the pump with all the water in this jug, my friend. Be sure to fill the jug up again before you leave. He's got to pour all the water in the pump to release a continual flow of water which would satisfy all his needs but he could just drink the jug right then and there but what does it say for the future people that will visit that hut what is he to do we're in the same situation we're in the same situation do we hold to what we know and are certain about and is true right now do we hold on to that that's safe it's predictable that's known but if we hold on to it, we risk missing what God has for us. Or is there more that God is calling us into? But to get there, we need to lay down what's in our hands. 
What choice do we make? Father James Gigigas said this. He said, the disciples behind that locked door did not yet have any idea about what had truly happened. They were still living in an old world. For the disciples, death was still death. Fear was still fear. Despair was still despair. The disciples, you see, were looking forward to a world that no longer contained Jesus in it. But they hadn't realised that beyond the locked door lives a risen Jesus who has slain death itself, exhausted sin of its power, triumphed over humanity's unconquerable adversary. On the other side of the door, the locked door, is a new world waiting for them to step into it. But they're locked behind a door in fear of the Jews with nowhere to go, gradually retreating to their previous lives. And then it happens. Jesus came and stood among them. And then he said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands, his feet, his side. And the disciples, they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Jesus came and stood among them. That's what many of us need today, right? For Jesus just to come and stand amongst our issues and our struggles and our challenges and our problems, our insecurities and our shortcomings. We just want Jesus to be there, to stand amongst us. It's what our spirits long for. It was the only thing that could help those disciples that day. You see, the locks that keep us in cannot keep Jesus out. How good is that? The locks that keep us in, whether it's a whole host of things, they cannot keep Jesus out. It's like he bypasses them. It's such good news that our fear and our doubt and our nostalgia and our history, they cannot keep Jesus away. If you ever have felt locked in a room for whatever reason, maybe you've just received terrible news. Maybe friends and family have deserted you and left you. Maybe you're out of money or you're hopelessly addicted to something. You can't stop being angry. You've hurt someone and you've blown up that opportunity to be friends or to be in a relationship with them. Whether you're in a church merger process, the locks that keep us in cannot keep Jesus out. In fact, the opposite is true. Jesus goes in hunt of the disciples. They've forsaken him, they've left him, they've ran away from him, they've betrayed him, they've denied him, they've done everything wrong. And Jesus goes in search of them to find them. And he went to them and when he went to them, his first words were, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, God has sent me here to this moment with you. As he has sent me, I'm going to send you to people in the same situation as you are, locked in rooms. I'm going to send you to them. And with that, he then breathed on them in a COVID safe way and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Like, receive the Holy Spirit. 
He was taking part of what was in him and bestowing it upon them. That's what that breathe means. Peace be with you. A peace that I won for you on the cross. A peace, peace that I snatched from death and I want you to have. A peace that transcends human understanding. It will not make sense all the time. That peace I give to you now. Peace be with you. You see, Jesus goes in search of locked doors to unlock them with us from our side of the door. Right now, right this moment, God is offering each of you, all of you, peace. The same peace he gave to those disciples he has for you. To live in you and to reign in you in a way that nothing else can. Dr. Chamberlain was a missionary in India and one day he was preaching at the banks of the Ganges River and, uh, and, and people around that area had such, held such spiritual significance for the Ganges River. Has anyone been to the river? Or are you just scared to put your hand up? No, no one. Has, has, no, no, there you go. All right. Well, enjoy the photo. This is a modern-day expression of the spiritual discipline that people brought to the Ganges River. They would crawl from where their home was to the banks of the Ganges on knees and elbows. You thought Liv was doing it tough today. On knees and elbows to throw themselves at a particular time of the year into the water with the belief that if they did that, they would be cleaned spiritually. They would find peace spiritually they would have their souls filled spiritually and as this festival is going on dr chamberlain is preaching the gospel he's preaching about jesus and there was one particular man who crawled down into the water and he made it to the water and he fell in and was submerged in the water and he came up this isn't a hippo eating story by the way he came up out of the water and walked out of the water and slumped on the bank looking completely dejected like all the things he had hoped for had been stripped from him and he falls on the bank of the river and it's at that point he hears Chamberlain preaching and Chamberlain was preaching from the passage that we preached we're preaching on today he was talking about the peace that comes to people and this man as he heard it being preached he was intrigued and he was curious because that which he'd put all his hope in to bring peace because of his history and his tradition and his nostalgia had came up empty. And so he advances towards Chamberlain and he meets Jesus and his life is changed. We do all manner of things in search of peace, don't we? All sorts of things, some good, some not so good. But Jesus has it. And he wants it for you. He knows the turmoil and the pain and the hurt and the fear that you face, that you've lived with. So he offers you peace. Do not miss his peace today. It's not just a peace that you go thanks and you walk away with. It, it's, it's a peace that you're invited to share with Jesus forever. Don't leave here today without knowing Jesus' peace. His peace is enough to change your world and his peace is enough to change our world. Don't miss his peace. But also know that when you take up his peace, it means laying something down. 
And we have to lay down the things we find our security in. And sometimes we search for security in unhealthy and not good in destructive ways. And Jesus says, put all that down. You don't need it. Here's my peace. When we take on his peace, we are renewed. We are changed. We have the same decision to make as the man. And back to the man in the desert with the water jar. Because some of you are like, how does the story end, Ralph? You can't just leave us hanging there. Well, let's go back to him. He has this choice. Does he, does he scull the water there that meets all of his needs right then and there but dooms everybody that is to come? Or does he risk? Does he take the jug of water over to the pump, pour it into the pump and prime the pump so the pump can bring forward water? What does he do? And he decides to do the latter. He takes the water and he pours it into the pump and he's, he's like, this has got to work. And he starts cranking the arm and nothing is happening. And he starts cranking it, he's pushing it, nothing's happening. And he's just about to give up when he pushes it down and a little gurgle and sputter happens. And then a trickle of water and then a stream of water and then a torrent of water comes flowing from the pump. And he drinks till he can drink no more and he bathes and he cleans himself and he is refreshed. And then he takes the, the jar and he fills it with water to the absolute brim and he pops the cork in it and he puts it on the table back in the shack. And he decides to write a postscript to the postscript on the note. And he says, believe me, he writes, it really works. You have to give it all away before you can get anything back. Those disciples in the locked room, they walked out of that room and they changed the world. They changed the world in the way that the world has never been and will never be changed since. Upon meeting the resurrected Jesus, they were convinced by the holes in his hands and the holes in his sides, and so they brave him, they follow, and everything changes. They become the proof that Jesus changes lives. Just like those of you who follow Jesus, you are the proof that Jesus changes lives. And Acts and then first century historical documents are filled with these maniacs doing ridiculous things for Jesus. They upset and stood up everyone and everything. It was like they were possessed by some incredible force, which we know is the Holy Spirit. They were saying to us today, to the church and to the world, believe me, it really works. You have to give it all away before you can get anything back. They took so seriously the words of Jesus. They obeyed them like their lives depended and they were drawn into something that the Roman Empire could not extinguish. And every empire since has not been able to withstand the might and the power and the movement of the church. The church is a movement of love and belonging that has turned the world upside down and will continue to do so if we, the church, will follow Jesus. See, they lived in an old world, but they lived it like they were in a new world. This is what God wants for us too. We should never settle for an old world while Jesus lives in a new one. The disciples have, have settled, they settled in that room when Jesus found them. They'd given up. We're done. And Jesus found them because they didn't realize that Jesus was on the other side of the door. They were looking back rather than looking forward. 
Their fear of the present stole the hope of the future by looking to the safety of the past. Is that true for you, for me, for us? Does your fear of the present steal the hope of your future by looking to the safety of your past? It shouldn't because Jesus offers peace. He says, it's okay. Have my peace. With my peace is the foundation. You can do anything. He'll deal with the locked door. You don't have to worry about the locked door. Jesus has got that. But first he offers us peace. To cite Father James Gagiris, death is now life. Fear is now peace. Despair is now hope. It's a new world Jesus invites us into. The merger, that belongs to God. It's not actually ours. It's God's. So have peace. The sin that has got its claws in you that you cannot escape, it's not yours anymore. It belongs to Jesus. He's going to deal with it. He wants to give you peace. That relationship gone bad, it's not yours to worry about. Jesus wants to worry about that and work that out for you. It's his. It's not yours anymore. You have peace. That bitterness that you feel coursing through your veins, it's his now. It's not yours anymore. You need peace. Those deep wounds, they're now his. They don't belong to you anymore. Take Jesus' peace. That lethargy, those excuses, the lies, the laziness, they do not belong to you anymore. He's taking them. You have his peace. The frustration and the confusion and the discontent, it's not yours anymore. It belongs to Jesus. Let him have it. Take his peace. Peace be with you. I want to pray for those of you that need peace this morning. In a sec, I'm going to pray. And I, I, I'm just enjoying that prayer. I'm going to invite you to put up your hand if you're sitting there and you're like, I need more peace. I need that peace. I need that life. And you don't have to worry about anybody else because they're worrying about their own stuff. So it's a safe place here. But the reason I'm going to invite you to do that is because I want to know who I'm praying for and I want to pray for you this morning if you're like, I need peace. So let's pray. Lord God, we are not entitled to your peace, but you give it anyway. We don't deserve it, and yet you come and find us to offer it to us. The doors that we are locked behind are no challenge for you. And so, Lord, we come before you now to find your peace and to know your peace. I want to invite you, if you need God's peace in a particular way today, just to put up your hand. That's all you need to do. Just put up your hand now. I'm going to pray for you. I know there's some of you like, I know I should put up my hand, but I don't want to. You need to put up your hand.
Lord, you see those hands. You see the cry of those hearts. You know their stories. Bring a peace that passes all understanding right now. Take away, Lord, anything that is not of your peace, that it may reign. Lord, I want to pray to you for those who or in a good space this morning, or perhaps they put up their hand, they didn't put up their hand because they didn't want to, they didn't feel comfortable, they weren't sure where it all lands, Lord. I pray that we all might be renewed by your peace, that you would journey with us in that renewal, that the things that have stolen it, Lord, would be silenced in our minds. The things that have stolen it in our lives would recede and reduce in the presence of your peace. The anxiety that can rage, Lord, would no longer find its grip in our souls. The Lord, your peace, your peace would reign now and forevermore, Lord, we pray.